think I realize now that's something you learn as you mature to be able to control your passion and kind of focus it correctly, you know, in a physical way. Right. So that was a great learning experience for me. It's storytelling at right. the end of the day. You just want to tell a story, you want to express emotion. I want to help others and I want to be able to I just want to be able to help others through their journey with chronic pain as it, it can it can really uproot someone's life. Hello Theatre Art Life podcast listeners. Today we're sharing with you an interview led by one of our contributors, Justin Mabadi. Justin Mabadi is a creative director and television director with experience in the production and development of live stage shows, live shows for television and television formats. He has worked in 20 countries on shows of every scale. We hope that you enjoy listening to his interview. Nova Bergeon, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. So I thought it would be really interesting to hear your story because you sort of have an incredible sort of uh, trajectory over the course of your career. I know you, of course, from our time out on the road with Fosse many, many moons ago, but uh, I thought it'd be interesting for people to hear a bit about where you grew up and uh, your overall dance goals in life and how you got to Broadway, essentially. So maybe you can start with telling us a bit about where you grew up. I grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And when I was 13, my family moved to Alaska. And so were you dancing all through your time in, uh, is it Pawtucket? Is that what you said? In Pawtucket. Uh, Pawtucket. So was there a moment that you found that was the moment that you realized you wanted to become a dancer? Weirdly, it happened right around the time we were going to be moving. I had really fallen in love with it over the years. I started when I was five after seeing my stepsister on stage in a recital. And my stepmother immediately put me in class and I just loved it. Yeah, so around 12 is when I really started becoming more attached to it. I was a very shy child, so this was a new form of expression for me, and I just took to it immediately. So what was it that sort of inspired you about dance? I mean, obviously now I understand completely, but at the time when you're young, is it, you know, is it the way you were able to express yourself or I mean, you have to tell us. Absolutely. I think because I was so timid, I wasn't a big talker very introverted, really low self-esteem. Um, <laughs> <Little and munchkin. laughs> when I was in dance, uh, I think that form of nonverbal expression allowed me to, it, it gave me a portal to express myself in a way I had never been able to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what ended up kind of weaving into my, my being dance and me, we were synonymous. Right. And then did you have specific teachers along the way? I guess, did you, I mean, I can't imagine there are a ton of dance studios in Alaska. That must've been a hard transition for you. It Maybe was, I'm wrong though. <laughs> you are very right. Uh, we moved to Juno first and there was, mm-hmm. I think one or two dance studios. And I remember the woman, that the teacher there, she, she didn't believe in lambswool in the point shoes. And it was just a strange way of teaching and, it, it wasn't suiting us. We ended up moving to Anchorage the next year. So I only spent one grade in Juno. And moved I didn't even know they put lambs wool inside ballet's shoes, like in, in, the, in the tip, shoes. in the point mm-hmm. shoes, mm-hmm. in order what to, to protect your toes? Yes. Yep. Gotcha. <laughs> there you go. Yep. So then you moved from Juno to? To Anchorage, Alaska. To, to Anchorage. And then you were able to dance there as well? We were. I spent about two years in a studio it was very well-rounded. They brought up teachers from California and um, I learned quite a bit, but the the teacher, sorry, the supervisor, the, the owner of the studio, she was um, quite abusive. And um, my stepmom actually ended up pulling us out of the school. I was a junior. I had started my junior year in high school. Mm-hmm. I was devastated. Yeah. I was devastated. So I began to give myself class in the basement of our home mm-hmm. and I just had my eye on the prize. I wanted to dance. Yeah, it's something I knew that I had to do. I didn't think I was good at it, but I knew that I just had to keep pursuing it. So I applied to college. So you went to two years of dance school in Anchorage. You left because of an abusive relationship with your supervisor, which sounds traumatic. I'm I'm guessing that's not an uncommon experience in the world of dance. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I'm guessing, but at the same time, it was it was your passion behind it that sort of drove you to continue in your basement? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Mm -hmm. All the way up until college. 
Yep. My last two years of high school, I would diligently give myself ballet bar and just continue with my technique there. And we actually had a, a program at the high school. The, the teacher was a gym teacher who learned dance kind of through textbooks. So it was a, it was difficult. I didn't, I was craving training, you know, professional training. Sure. So I just kept pursuing it the way I knew how. And anyway, I could, I applied to NYU and they needed a video. And at that time in 1994, you know, wasn't readily available a video no. camera. <laughs> so I, I couldn't finish my application to Tisch School of the Arts. So I ended up applying to Chapman University where right. a, a fellow uh, dancer had gone and they accepted me on an academic scholarship. So I had never Amazing. been to California <laughs> and I immediately after high school flew down there and started my my college career. So you're telling me that someone from a sports background was teaching you via textbook about dance and your passionate sort of experience was propelling you in the basement of your of your family home? Yes. <laughs> I never knew that. I love that. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and, and then you got on a plane from Alaska and you moved down to Orange County, California to study dance on an academic scholarship. Yep. And that must have been another huge learning curve. Just just all of a sudden in with, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but like uh, professional uh, training. Oh, yes. It was a huge learning curve. I mean, but I was so hungry for that structure. And, and I just wanted to keep growing and keep learning. So I really loved it. I really loved the program. It was very small at the time. We had one dance studio. We also rehearsed in the school chapel. Mm -hmm. um, oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was a really special, it was a really special time. We didn't have a lot of resources, but I think that especially the group that I was in the class of 2000, we were just so passionate about about dancing, and so we just we just ate it all up. Right, of course. I mean, and so at the time, you must have been really, uh, you, you must have been in kind of your element all of a sudden. All of a sudden, you were surrounded by people who were passionate about the same thing that, as you. Absolutely, it was it was incredible. It was incredible. How does it work when you're in college for dance or university for dance? You're you're essentially doing both your academics and sort of a, a, a regular dance curriculum? Yes, it, it was a very stressful program because of that, because it's a liberal, liberal arts school. And so, yes, you have your GEs. And we were, for the dance uh, major, we, we had to take kinesiology and, you know, anatomy. And, I mean, it was full on. So, and also I was working. So my cute job at Starbucks started at, you know, 4 or 5 a.m. to open the store. And then at 9 a.m. I had ballet class. Right. So it was very rigorous, very of rigorous, course. but the masochistic nature in, in me, <laughs> and I think it's common for dancers. I'm sure. <laughs> I was fueled by it yeah. in a way. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. And so then is there, is there a certain, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, is there a certain style? Do you learn all styles? Like, how does it like actually work? You, I mean, you're working towards a show every year or? Yes, we had a fall showcase and a spring showcase. The fall showcase was faculty. I believe, and in the spring showcase were the students. I think senior year, the students have to put on, choreograph their own show uh, number, and then it's in a showcase. So mm -hmm. we work towards that each semester, but also we had a very well-rounded program. We took ballet, tap, jazz, I mean, lyrical. I mean, it was the whole modern. It was everything. And then they would bring in specialty. I learned flamenco from a, an authentic teacher. Um, mm -hmm. I learned Dunham technique from a from a woman from Philodenko who, you know, studied it for years. And, and it was really it's just so wonderful to get that kind of education. So yeah, well around. And now, I mean, so now you're, let's say you're graduating college and or university and you're heading out into the real world. So now I think that there is often a disconnect between you leave your university and you're like, I'm ready world. Who's, you know, who's going to pay me? And then actually what happened? So what, what happened to you? For me, it was funny. I auditioned for Royal Caribbean cruise lines. Mm -hmm. I thought this could be a cool, you know, way to sure. see the, you know, not even really see the world, but get, be able to dance and make money. Sure. That's kind of the goal, right? To have a career. So I auditioned and they had on the application, what is your first day to start? And I think I wrote May 29th, which 
I kind of laughed because it was the day of my graduation, my college graduation. <laughs> well, already. Listen, wouldn't you know? On May 29th, I flew to Miami uh, wow. right after my graduation and started rehearsals for my first, it was my second dance job. I actually got a job during college in at Disneyland, but uh, right. <laughs> this is my first professional out of college job. I forgot we had those both in common, Starbucks and <laughs> Disneyland. Yes. But that's amazing. Yeah. So you literally went from your college graduation to the airport. I sure did. Wow. And then yes. you landed in the first your first professional job, paid job. And was it everything you had hoped for or was it harder than you expected? I think, oh gosh. I think it was everything I hoped for and more. I was mm -hmm. so excited to just be able to dance for a living. I think something I did realize was I learned that my passion for dance, I, I didn't know how to contain it properly. So I think I, I, it's hard to explain, but I think I felt in, almost embarrassed by my, my exuberance for it. And I was put kind of, in the back and I wasn't, it felt like I, they wanted to hide me a little bit, which mm -hmm. I, I, I think I realize now that's something you learn as you mature to be able to control your passion and kind of focus it correctly, you know, in a physical way. Right. So that was a great learning experience for me to mm -hmm. kind of start to take a look at my performance quality. Sure. And then you, so you were on a boat for six months, a year? It was a six-month contract. I saved my money. My big goal was New York City. It sure. always had been. So I saved my pennies, and I ended up, for some reason, oh, that's right, I met a guy. Ooh. And I ended up going back to California for some reason, I think, because I didn't know anybody in New York yet. I didn't feel like I had saved enough money. So went back there, ended up auditioning for another cruise line, went through the rehearsals, and realized it wasn't the right fit for me. They were telling us we had to wear makeup in, you know, the staff areas and always be dressed up. And I was like, you know, I, this just isn't the kind of lifestyle I want. Right. So I ended up going back to Royal Caribbean and doing another contract. Wow. Well, which is really so, brave actually at that age to sort of turn down work. I think that that's kind of a unique thing to do. It was, it was very yeah. difficult for me to do that. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So you went back to Royal and you were out on, on a boat for a bit while longer, but then how did you make the transition to New York City? I was lucky enough to have a friend who had wealthy parents who had, you know, bought her an apartment in Midtown Manhattan. Mm -hmm. So this was 2002, February. And I stayed with her on the couch for a couple days and somehow through friends of a friend found this room in a family's house it was 400 dollars a month in riverdale new york mm -hmm. um it's like the last stop one of the last stops off the one train yeah and I, I, was I, moved say. In. <laughs> I moved in there and <laughs> the rest is history really and so then you so you hit the ground i guess or that you, you started pounding the pavement as people say <laughs> and looking for work or you already knew you already had your focus on something you know i I just knew first I need to get a job. I need to get, I had saved, I probably had maybe, I think maybe $3,000 in my bank account. Uh, right. You know, wasn't much, but I knew I have to get a job right now so I can sustain living in New York. So I got a job waiting tables mm -hmm. and I packed my big backpack every day and I did auditions, you know, three, sometimes two a day, class, and then my, my night job. And I would, come home around 1, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. after closing the restaurant and start all over the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really a common experience, I think. And yes. so, it, and then, and then also auditioning, I'm assuming. Oh yes. Auditions galore. Um, mm. I remember, I think Fosse was one of my second auditions. It, you know, I was non-union. Right. So this was a non-union tour going out and I had I had learned Fosse in, in college. It was my first acquaintance with it. And I mm -hmm. fell in love with the style immediately. So when I saw this audition notice, I was immediately, I remember I saw in my journal, I talked myself down already. I was like, even if, if you're not right, even down to the pinky finger, 
it's okay. Like I was already talking myself <laughs> down from not getting this job because I wanted it so bad. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I mean, it's an exciting, it's, I mean, it was exciting for sure. Yes. But so you must have already, you had another audition prior to that. So was that sort of in line with what your expectations were? Or by the time you got to the Fosse audition, was it, was it sort of a shock or how, you know, I think that the, the New York auditions is a whole different market. It is. It is. I acclimated pretty quickly, I think, because I think my first audition was for Cats. And so I made it pretty far in that one. Didn't get it, obviously, but um, I was able to sing. And, you know, I hadn't done that in an audition before. So it kind of gave me a little education. I kind of learned on my feet with this. So... It was really terrifying. I will say that. <laughs> so tell, <laughs> tell us about that audition, the Fosse audition. Oh my gosh. Well, I met one of my dearest friends in line that day mm -hmm. and uh, we waited outside. It was raining. We, I shared my umbrella with this amazing woman and uh, we filed in and it would, you know, big groups at a time, learn a combination, do it maybe three at a time. And then you either get kept or you get cut. I got kept and I think we did another combo and we did some technical stuff like, you know, ponche and mm -hmm. different, different technique mm -hmm. uh, just to show we were able. I'm trying to think. And we sang, we were asked to sing. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember if there was another callback or if I ended up getting the call, just getting the call to get hired. I, that part is fuzzy to me for some reason. I remember that first day, but I don't remember coming back. Right. But the call was pretty exciting. I was I was at the Olive Garden in Times Square. <laughs> I don't know how I afforded that. And the song came on, and I, I was with my friend EJ at the time. We were having probably salad and breadsticks, and right. I was like, I was like EJ, I was like, oh my god! And they were playing Blackbird over the the speaker, and all of a sudden I see a two one two number come up on my Nokia cell phone. No way! This is true. This is true. <laughs> this is, this true. is amazing. Uh, right? I know it's really insane. So I see the two one two number, and as anyone in New York knows, yeah. you see a two one two number in your audition, and you're like, okay, this is, this it, is it, right? So I get a call from Dave Clemens Casting, and he says, "We'd like to, you know, we'd like to offer you the position uh, of a swing on the tour of Fosse." Oh and god. I was just like, I was just so excited. Yeah, of course. It was, yes. Oh my god. You were just, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you're as excited as you are now. I know. I'm sorry. That was <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, so then when did rehearsal start? Was it pretty quickly thereafter? It was actually a couple months. So I stayed at my restaurant job and kept taking class and just really, really dug into the Fosse style. I found a teacher, Diane Lawrenson, who has been my mentor since that time. Uh, she danced with Fosse uh, for years. So I just ate, drank, breathed Fosse uh, until we started rehearsals. And we started in August, I think. So maybe take a moment and explain to everyone who doesn't really know. I mean, the style of Fosse is sort of well-recognized around the world, but maybe people don't know why. Maybe you could explain why people have such a passion for this style in particular. I think because where it, how it derived, the style derived from a man who was very insecure. Mm -hmm. He was really embarrassed by his hands. So that's where the gloves come in. And a lot of his, a lot of the stylistic uh, postures of Fosse all have very distinct meanings, very distinct imagery. And I think, I think dancers really can, can connect with that uh, because it's storytelling. At the right. end of the day, we just want to tell a story. We want to express emotion. So there's a lot of isolation in all of all of the choreography, from what I remember. And then there's a lot of interesting patterns that happen. And so, is it something that you ate it up because you felt like it, you were able to use your body in a different way, or what? What was it that sort of drove you into that style? It's so hard to explain. It feels like it was just meant. It was meant, this movement style was meant for me. Just the feeling I got to do you know, the back bump, everything was so connected to, is so connected to the core mm -hmm. um, and the pelvis. And I just, I think that's where I emote from is that, that area of my body um, right. physically and, and emotionally. So mm -hmm. I just, it just felt like it fit. It's so, it's almost it's really hard to explain. Why. Sure. Well, I can imagine. But then one day you showed up 
and you were living your dream essentially first day of rehearsal on the second national Fosse tour. I was, and I was a swing and I was learning in the corner and I, I was so in love with the movement and so excited to be there. And about a week went by and all of a sudden they bring us into the center of the room, the whole, the whole cast. And they make this announcement that I am moving to the playing company because one of the performers had decided to not continue with the show. Wow. It was a complete shock. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that's how the, the, the rest of the story you know, continues. Right. And so you went from, <laughs> you went from, and then you go on the road, basically, right? You spend several weeks in New York City. You're in, you're in rehearsals. And then you go and tech the show out of town. Um, and then you're out on the road sort of doing a job that you've loved. And now you're sort of doing it day after day after day after day, which is, which is even on Broadway, a struggle for anyone. But what, what was that experience like? I mean, it was a year or two out on the road. It was exciting and grueling and... Oh my gosh! All of all of the emotions you can think of. We were on on a bus mm-hmm. most days. Uh, we did a lot of one nighters, which is you come in, the crew sets up the show, the set. We do the show. We sleep at the hotel for maybe a few hours. The crew doesn't sleep because they're striking the set, and then we mm-hmm. get up the next day, five in the morning sometimes, and drive to the next city and do it all over again. We did a lot of that. It of was course. really grueling, but we were just so in love with the material, we did it. Right, of course. And so yeah. I think it's important for people to understand that this was a non-union tour. It was, in fact, the first, one of the first, at least, non-union tours that went out with, with a, essentially a major union show that maybe should have gone out union, um, even in the second national tour, but it went out, it went out second national as a non-union tour, which at least I know for myself, and I'm assuming for you too, it was it was really my big break to sort of get out on the road and do those kinds of things in in the industry in the right world, even though not at the same pay or benefits levels as anything else. Do you, looking back on that now, would you say that that's more or less your your sort of breakout moment? One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, with a lot of guilt and shame because I do know that now, now that I'm union, I understand the a huge conflict of go of taking a job that's non-union. Sure. And what do you think about that now? I mean, I think it's for me, it's a, it's, I agree. It's a bit of a conflict because without that experience, I wouldn't be able to be doing the things that I'm doing today, theoretically, but at the same time, you know, for all the case you could make for a union only show, it also gave a huge amount of opportunity to people, no matter what world they're coming from. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wish I had the right answer because I think our union has struggled with this for years. And now we see with the contracts going out that are equity, some, some actually may pay less than a non-union show. I mean, I think the producers have a lot of power mm-hmm. and they are the ones that are dictating how yeah, this is working. Of course. So we're all at their mercy, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> it is a bit complicated, but yeah. uh, but I'm glad you got that opportunity. I think that it was more. And so you were out on the road for a couple of years and then one day you said, that's it? Or the show ended? Or wh- where did you go to from there? Well, from there, because we, got, we were paid so little, I did sign on for the next year because we were going to... Um, England and Paris. And I said, well, yes. And I still wanted to do the show. And after about nine months of the second year, I was um, not able to pay my student loan. Like I was just realizing this is, I'm not able to save money. I I'm really struggling. Mm-hmm. I think we were getting about $350 a week. I mean, it wasn't enough right. to live. So I was making it work for all that time because I loved it so much. But I think I realized this is this is unreasonable and I don't want to live like this anymore. Sure. You start to see your future in a different light. Yeah. Um, And so did you just quit or did you already have another job on the horizon? I did not have another job. I gave my notice and they tried to talk me into staying. And of course you're amazing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) It was a really hard decision, but, but um, once I left, I'm trying to think, I think what happened was I ended up going back on the cruise ship. My sister was performing on the ship and they needed a replacement. 
it was a ship I had already done. So mm-hmm. I went back on the cruise ships. So was that an interesting way to revisit sort of your, you know, your original job? Did it feel the same or did you have kind of a different opinion on it when you went back? I absolutely had a different opinion and I realized this, that was not the correct decision for me. And the rules were so rigid on this ship. Uh, the hotel manager kind of dictates what you can do around the ship. And mm-hmm. it was just very, very, it felt a little bit more like, like a little bit like a prison in mm-hmm. that way of, you know, sure. you just didn't have a lot of freedom to do anything. You do your shows and that's, you kind of stay underground. Right. Um, and my sister ended up leaving midway through her contract. She couldn't take it. So I was there and it was a great learning experience. I ended up um, having to go on for the lead girl, lip singing her, her track. Oh. And um, I have to say, I'm not bragging, but I got employee of the month, which never happens on a cruise ship because they, dancers, are the ones that work the least. So it was a big joke. It's like, well, you will never get that award because there are, there are folks on the ship that are working 16 hour days. And so, yeah, so it was, it was incredible. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what is happening? So that was interesting. And I had a little extra cash to go back to New York and started the whole process over again. Auditioning yeah. Which like, is a lot. Yeah. So then you got back to New York city. Did you, did you move back into a new place? I'm assuming. And then, and then you were, just sort of auditioning again? Yep. I was auditioning. My next my next job was actually getting my equity card. So I was lucky enough to oh, work that's in Atlanta right. City. Nights on Broadway. <laughs> that's right. Where we reconvened. <laughs> that's where we both got our equity cards. <laughs> mm-hmm. Isn't that something? <laughs> Thank you, Atlantic City. Thank you. <laughs> Um, which I know was uh, was a really was a really fascinating and, f- and it was actually quite fun. I can say it, as as bizarre as it was to be living in Caesar's Palace, but at the end you got injured. Isn't that right? I did get injured my first my first injury of my career where I had to leave. It was the last two or three weeks of the show. I think yeah, it was almost the end of the contract and oh, I was devastated. I had another show lined up later um, in the summer. So I was saying to myself, well, I have to get better because I have to, you know, there was no thought of me not dancing or not performing again. So I took the time. I went back to Alaska. My sister got married during that time. I healed and went back to New York to start another, another show and as an equity member. So that was pretty, pretty exciting. So what, what, what was the the injury you broke? Did you break something? I can't remember now. It was my, it was a foot. It was a foot situation and um, I'd always had trouble with my feet. That was like, you know, I think all dancers have like a part of their body that just, they're prone. There's a little more proneness to injury. So it was a foot, it was a foot injury. So then you got, then you got better. I remember and you went back out for what was, what, what did you lose the show that you had contracted already? Or did you have to go out on the road for something else? I was lucky enough to be to be well enough to go and do that job that I had already been cast in. So I'm so grateful. I was able, it was in New Jersey. I was able to come back um, and do, you know, do the show fully and continue on with my career. Now, do I remember right that you went out on the road with Sweet Charity? I did. And that wasn't that show though? No, that was a show with Andy Blankenbuehler actually in 2006. Uh, No, sorry, 2005. uh, I was an original work. And uh, that so must have been amazing. Yeah. Was, oh my gosh. I mean, I grew up I, I, when I guess I not grew up when I came to the city, I took his class religiously in the early 2000s. So it was a huge honor to be able to dance for you know, a, sh- a show. That That's amazing. Yeah. So then you, did you go from that out on back out on the road with sweet charity? From there, I believe the next thing was, I think I got hello Dolly at paper mill playhouse. And after that, then I got Sweet Charity. And so now you're, I'm guessing, in, in your mid to late 20s, you've got three, four, five major jobs under your belt, which is already a huge kudos to you because a lot of, a lot of dancers in their careers, their, 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 their career spans you know, vary from one thing to 20 things for sure. But it, for sure, the, the more jobs you get, the less people are in the same kind of category as you. So this is already like a huge, this is already huge actually. <laughs> and you're, uh, and you go out on the road to sweet charity. What was that like? It was, Oh my gosh, I loved it. It was so awesome. I mean, mm. it was, it was my first 
production contract. It was not, sorry, I'm saying production, but it was a lower tier production. Mm -hmm. It wasn't full production, but it was an equity tour. And it was uh, Wayne Salento choreographed this. So it was, you know, a remake. But I, oh my gosh, I, I just, I just was in love. That's amazing. And yeah. how long were you out on the road for? I was on that tour for a year and I was lucky enough because the same team who did Sweet Charity also did Wicked. So I was extremely fortunate to be asked to replace a dancer on the Wicked tour. So mm-hmm. I had about a week off and I jumped onto the Wicked tour, which was a full production contract. That's the creme de la creme of, of contracts for a dancer. And what is the major difference between these tiers, would you say? I'm sure, sure money, but then as well as it's sort of the way that they're laid out or how does it actually work? Yes, you don't usually do any what they call split weeks on Sweet Charity. We did, you know, maybe three days in one city, three days in another. That was kind of the shortest amount you'd stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, on on this tour, you'd stay about five weeks in each city. Oh, so you actually got cities. to see the city. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So now you're you're on Wicked, and how long are you on the road of the Wicked? I think I did about eight months on that tour because my. I still hadn't done the thing. I wanted to work in New York City and live there and kind of just make a life there. Right. I've been on the road on and off for about seven years. Um, I forgot to mention I had met my now husband on the Evita tour, which actually happened between the Nights on Broadway and Sweet Charity. So that happened in that pocket of time. Sorry, I messed up with that. That was <laughs> a big moment in my life. <laughs> Hi, Marcos. <laughs> Who's lovely and also yeah. a, a dancer and choreographer as well. And so you, he was out on the road with you? On Avita, we, we had met, but he wasn't out on the road with Wicked. No, he, we were doing long distance. This was probably, we were on our second year of long distance. And wow. it was tough. Yeah. And we realized, I realized I just didn't want to live out of a suitcase anymore. I was... I think I was 29 at that time, and I just wanted to really plant some roots finally. And he was back in New York? He was. Ah, he so a got huge his reason Broadway to go back. Mm-hmm. Oh, doing what? In the Heights. Oh, great. Yes. I forgot about that. That's right. So, he's he, so of course, your man who's got a secure job back in the city, and you're sort of like, this is it. I'm ready yeah. to go. Yeah. So you, so, you got back on the plane, and you head back to New York City, and... And then did you find a job right away? I didn't. It was a really tough transition because I had only known living out of a suitcase and touring and things changing all the time and being employed. I'd only gone a couple months without work, which was, I know how extremely fortunate I am to have only had a couple months out of work. So I think there was a lot of pressure because I was like, oh, this is a big guy. This is a big deal. I left the most amazing paying job to be in New York and do the, the race again. They call the rat race, right? So right. it was a tough transition. And actually the tour needed me to come back. So after a couple months, I ended up going back to the tour for maybe two months. Mm-hmm. And then lucky enough to be asked to audition for Rock of Ages uh, while I was out there. So when I, I right. came back and auditioned and I got the job and it was my first off-Broadway job. It was my first New York job. That's right. That was the third thing you and I worked on together. I think that That's you might be the person I've worked with most of my life. That's right. So we were off Broadway doing Rock of Ages. That's right. Bringing in the crowds. Oh my gosh. It was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, it was three months of work in New York. We had adopted a dog earlier that that year um and it was just i mean it was we were we were living the dream it was the dream and i had gotten a call during that time to replace somebody on wicked i had gotten the call during rehearsals for rock of ages and i said you know i'm just starting this contract and they said well we'll we'll hold your the position once your contract is ended because it was only until december like after christmas i think rock of ages was slated off broadway so no one had talked that there was a future with rock of ages and i said i yes this is my broadway debut yeah i will do it so i said yes um they held my position and i joined the broadway company in december Mm -hmm. yeah 
Amazing. And so all of a sudden you're now, let's just for context sake, from coming from your, your parents' basement, (laughs) being taught by (laughs) an athletic coach, by a textbook for dance, figuring out her way into a university on scholarship. And then from cruise ship to non-union touring to union jobs in Atlantic City, you made your way all the way through national tours and top tier national tours. And now you're off-Broadway and Broadway debut. What did that day feel like? Oh, my gosh. It was was so... It was just so magnificent. It's hard to describe it in words, really. I just never thought all this time being employed as a a dancer, I never felt that I was good enough. I wasn't really talented enough. I was like, I'm fooling these people. You know, I just, but in that moment, I I really took in that time and and it, it, it was just incredible. So you're in and out every day at Wicked, sort of living the dream and figuring it out. And so that must have been like a pretty special time. It was. It is the longest I've ever been in any show because every contract I'd had had an end date. This this show is still running. I think now it's the seventh long, longest running show on Broadway. So it was one of those things that I was like, I could be in this job forever. They call it a government job. Those those long run <laughs> Broadway shows, they kind of that's what they do. They call it that. Yeah. And I, <laughs> about two years in, I started getting itchy to maybe you know do some more creative. Because after a while, you do the eight shows. It's a very well oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to stay. I never wanted to lose the gratitude of being there every day, and I never, I never did. I right. Never did. Uh, there was an itch to do other. So I started to do some outside things. And, mm-hmm. and then one day you were dancing, if I remember the story right. Well, maybe you should tell the story. One day your whole life changed. Yes. Yes. In 2012, um, I sustained an injury to my foot. And it's on a rake stage. So I'd had problems with it since I joined Wicked. The rake stage means like there's an incline. That so you're you dance constantly on. dancing on a hill. Yeah. Right. And I... I remember I would always grip, I'd have to grip my, my toes to stay, you know, stay balanced and, and just the jumps and in the heels, I think over time just started to corrode my joint. And so I had gone to the doctor and he just kind of blew it off as arthritis. And so I just kept dealing with it. And 2012 came and I had filed an accident report because I had landed from a jump and I felt something go awry. And I went to the doctor and he's like, eh, you know, it's fine. He just blew it off again. And I said, well, my big question is, will I hurt it if I keep dancing on it? He's like, yeah, you're fine. It's just arthritis. You're fine. Okay. So I listen as a dancer. Yeah. You're used you to dancing through pain no matter what. Mm-hmm. So I spent that next nine months wrapping it diligently every day, going to physical therapy. I mean, doing everything I could to get through the show. I was actually dancing on it more easily than I was walking on it on my days off or coming home from the show, coming in between shows to walk my dog, I was really struggling with pain. So in April of 2013, I had hit, I think I had hit my limit of how far I had pushed this foot. Right. Um, so I called my stage manager just really scared. And I said, I think I might need to take a medical leave uh, for this. She was like, absolutely, you know, you're entitled to up to a year medical leave on Broadway with this contract that I had. So I went to my doctor. He said, you know, let's do about six weeks. I think you just need to rest it. And um, we're sitting here about five years later after about five, four surgeries and many procedures. I'm no longer dancing. So things shifted Dramatically. I mean, so maybe let's be a bit more. So it's, it's which it's your right leg, your left leg or foot. My my left foot. Mm -hmm. It's your left foot. So all of a sudden as a dancer, you're now dealing with an injury sustained to the tooth. Well, I would say your whole body, of course, but without your feet, I think that it's also quite obviously harder to dance. Mm -hmm. So what, how does it work now? All of a sudden you are a dancer. You've trained your whole life. You've gone to school for it and you're doing, you're the, you're the top of your career. And here you are now unable to dance. So 
I think it's really important for people around the world and particularly dancers or people who are looking into careers in dance kind of hear a bit about actually what the steps are to deal with once you're once you sustain an injury like this. I think at first there was a lot of hope that it will get better and I just needed to take some time off. That already was hard enough. I think having to admit that I couldn't fulfill my my not my obligation but my my job requirement. Right. Sure. That was extremely shameful for me and very devastating to, to admit that I could not do. So the process for me, I think it was always this thing of let's do this and see what happens. And that kept happening for, kept happening year after year. I'd have the surgery and then I, you know, you go through the six weeks of, of rest and then you get back to physical therapy. So how does it work? You actually, as a dancer, you go to your company manager. Your company manager, you filed reports and documents and all these sorts of things, and you have insurance provided by your union or via your union. Is there some department that you go to and you're like, hey, I'm I'm injured, or you know, and then they're like, hey, we'll take we'll take care of this with you. Or is it more like, I guess what is it like? So for this situation, being in New York was very helpful for me because the workers' compensation law, it's in favor of the worker. So the show, Wicked, has its own insurance company. Mm-hmm. They take out a policy for, for injury, right? For, right, for things like this. So I, through the union, was able to understand how to file the paperwork to receive benefits mm-hmm. through workers' compensation insurance. Workers' compensation insurance is regulated by New York State which is very helpful to know because right. the insurance company doesn't tend to want to help. Right. Uh, they want to get you off of the benefit as soon as possible. So it was very rigorous throughout the years to try to stay on insurance so I could continue to pay my rent. I could not work. So it's, it's, a, it's a constant battle to, to keep those benefits so you can continue to heal and get right. the medical treatment you need. Right. And is there sort of a clear process for all of this or is it, or did you feel like you had, you were uncovering things every step of the way? I was uncovering every step of the way. I was lucky enough. And I mean, unfortunately I have a lot of friends who've been injured, but they gave me advice on where to turn, what to do when the caseworker for the insurance company wasn't answering the phone or wasn't approving medical treatment. Right. Uh, where do I go from there? So I, a couple of years in decided to hire an attorney to make sure that everything I was entitled to was getting to me. Right, which sounds quite smart and also quite shocking, (laughs) if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because how, I mean, how you basically are, unless if you deal with it, uh, you only know what it is once you're out the other side. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yes. So now, knowing what you know now, if someone were to come to you with an injury or advice or something, you know, what would you suggest? If they were injured in New York, because I have most my acquaintances with New York law for, yeah. for injured for injured workers, mm-hmm. uh, I would say immediately hire an attorney. It sounds scary at first, and I didn't do it at first, but I would say hire an attorney to make sure there's paper trail of everything, and they mm-hmm. can guide you to understand why things may may not have been approved. It's all about paperwork. It's all about what that doctor writes on that form, and if it's not completely written, if it's not written completely in the way that would enable the insurance company to provide a benefit. Mm-hmm. And this is truthful information. I'm not saying break the system. I'm saying the doctor needs to, to be very um, competent in the, the paperwork. Right. And I, I had to leave some doctors be, because it wasn't, it was very incomplete and it wasn't followed through. And so it's really important to be your own advocate and right. make sure what's written on that form, double check it. You have to. You have to have to be your own advocate. Because if you don't, and if it doesn't go, it can take months to then come back to the same point you were to begin with, I assume. Yes. Paper, Paperwork-wise. Absolutely. I've had occasions where the doctor wrote the wrong foot on my form. What? And, uh-huh. So this was for a surgery. It was denied. And it, uh, with workers' comp law in New York, you have the doctor has insurance the insurance company has about 30 days to approve up a certain procedure. So right. 
if you think about it, and then they give you like an, then an extra like 15 day grace period. Mm-hmm. So it's like 45 days of waiting to see yes or no. If they say no, and that's what happened with me for one of my surgeries, you're so back you're, at the drawing board. So basically, you had to wait six weeks for them to decline it, for them to tell you that your doctor had wrong, wrote the wrong foot on the paperwork, which is why they denied it. Yes. That's insane. Yes. That's unbelievable. And that's when I learned you have, this is my advice for anybody who's injured. The paperwork is the key to your medical treatment. That's fascinating and and, and scary all at the same time. Yes. And important to hear. So now you're, did I hear you say, is it four surgeries in five years? Is that what you said? Yes. um, I I had a fairly invasive procedure last, this past uh, July. Mm -hmm. So um, that was a really tough recovery. But yeah, four surgeries and I've had multiple cortisone injections to try to avoid surgery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you do the conservative treatment before the big, sure. the big one. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've tried it all. I've done it all. So now you're, you're five years in, you're still, as, as far as I remember, maybe you want to correct me, but you're still, you're still in pain from time to time or all the time. It's if I walk longer than a certain amount, I'm back to the I'm back to the level of pain that was from the beginning. Wow. I have to be very careful because it's turned into a chronic condition. After an acute injury occurs, if the pain doesn't subside, it becomes chronic. And so there's a pain loop that occurs. And so if I push that threshold too far, I can become bedridden and not able to walk mm-hmm. at all. So I have to be very careful. I walk with a cane and um, I just have to be really mindful and really listen to my body. So I, I'm going to ask a really open question. You can feel free to answer it how you like. But obviously, dancing is your heart, was was your income and feeding your soul. And now, in irony of ironies, you, you know, you need a cane and you are sometimes bedridden due to, due to pain. I mean, now what? I mean, what is it that you're – I mean, it's obviously a life lesson, no question. But – there has to be a way forward for yourself in terms of like, where do you turn now for what you want to do with your life? What, you know, tell us about where you are and a bit about what the process was to get there because I'm sure it wasn't easy. Yeah. That's been the the biggest journey for me is to really find out who I am without dancing, without the ability to even walk at times. Who am I? And am I worthy to be in this world? I mean, Mm -hmm. it really gets that deep. And I think with family history and things that have occurred from, you know, way back all sure. come back to the surface. Because I think, as I said in the beginning with dance, for me, it was synonymous with who I was. I only identified myself as being a dancer. I didn't know who I, I didn't know who I was if I didn't dance. Mm-hmm. So that uh, separation was hugely profound. It was very profound for me to dissect that. Um, sure. And it took me a couple of years to really understand that I had to grieve this loss because I think for the first couple of years, it was, let me, let me get another surgery. Let's see how it goes. I mean, I was really hopeful that I was going to be able to return. So in t- 2015, when we decided I needed to fuse the joint, I, you know, my doctors all said, you know, you don't dance after that. You have to have mobility in that joint to be able to dance. So once it's fused, it's, you can no longer go back. So I think that was the defining moment for me to say, okay. So I spent the next couple of years really grieving and really investigating that. And I have to say, I think I'm a stronger person out the other side of it because I have nothing to, I have no, nothing to hide within. I don't know if that makes sense. Like I don't Mm -hmm. have anything, but who, who I am as a person, as a human, yeah, so I, I can yeah, imagine. I had to really, yeah, try to really dig deep and decide what is it that I want and what do I want to offer the world. And I think I started writing, which I always loved writing. Um, it's another not kind of non, it's, it's a nonverbal way of expression, right? I don't have sure. to be physically present, which was really helpful for me because I wasn't able to be physically present. So writing was a huge way for me to delve into that. So the big question of what now, it is a continuous journey for me with I I, mindfulness definitely has helped and I actually on Sunday I'm going to be going to uh, Kripalu to get my yoga teacher training Um, oh wow so I'm really excited about that I've been wanting for a couple years and 
they're really open about any physical restrictions. You don't have to be a super athlete to be able to get this certification. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. That's amazing. I want to help others and I want to be able to, I just want to be able to help others through their journey with chronic pain because it, it can, it can really uproot someone's life. Yeah. Without question. So here we, so do you find that you would be more interested in, in doing things outside of, of the entertainment sphere or do you find that you would want to go back into it in some capacity at some point? Like how does that, how do you sort of, you know, come to terms with, with what you want to do? Is it, is it just sort of following your intuition right now? That's what it is. I think I've been lucky enough to assist my husband on a few projects and I have absolutely loved that. I loved being on the other side of the table, being, being a support for the actors in any way. I could have been a support for the creative team in any way they needed me. I was really paying attention to, okay, well, what is that? So that means I just want to be helpful in sure. some way, in some capacity. So if I can be helpful in an entertainment setting, where I can physically do the work, that would be ideal. But I think I'm still in that vulnerable position where I'm still not able to meet social obligations. Sometimes I'm, my, if my, you know, my body isn't able to walk more than a few steps, I but have that's to what it is pull back. Right. Yeah. So, and, and that makes me not a, a reliable employee. So that's been the real challenge for me to go, where am I going to be able to get, gain my livelihood and so that's the big question. So I thought, let me let me go get the certification mm-hmm. and maybe create my own thing yeah. on my own terms to, sure. to help others. That sounds that sounds about right. Well, I know everyone is rooting for you. Thank uh, you. If if anyone doesn't know this, Nova Bergeron is widely loved in the New York sphere. Maybe as we close out, it would be great for you to think of maybe a piece of advice or something that you might want to say to a young dancer who maybe was in your shoes up in Alaska, sort of looking out on the career in front of them that they might have, um, maybe not even career, but just sort of joy of dance. Is there anything that you would, that you would sort of say to yourself thinking back 30 years? Follow that heart, follow that passion and be kind to yourself as much as you can. course well thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to chat with me today i really appreciate it thank you so much justin please write our review on our podcast whatever you listen to your podcast and let your friends know about us you can learn more about theater art live by visiting our website at www.theaterartlive.com and you can also follow us on social media and leave your questions and comments on facebook instagram linkedin pinterest twitter or youtube we want to thank david sire for composing the music for our podcast and michelle Girata, who is our sound engineer we are your hosts anna and anna and this is the theater art life podcast where we put the spotlight on those who create life entertainment around the world <laughs>